0: You're you're fighting a multi-front battle and how do you just keep persevering forward, have a good business, and at the end of the day, you're trying to support yourself, your family, et cetera, with this restaurant. So not taking a minute every once in a while just to go, are we doing everything as efficiently as we could to put every penny down to the bottom line that we possibly can?
1: What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru? Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am here with Joe Monastero. Joe, I am so glad we are are finally here on the podcast. We've hung out at shows. We've chatted a whole bunch before, Uh, but here we are, man. Now, there may be a few people who don't know who Joe is, and if you don't, let me tell you, this guy is sure fun at a trade show, and he's even more fun in a mechanical bull, this guy has over 20 years in the event space, almost three years as COO of the Texas Restaurant Association, working with luminaries like Dr. Emily Williams-Knight, and uh, we are just so stoked to have you on the show, Joe. Thanks, Zach. It's a pleasure to finally be here. I was starting to feel left out. <laughs> no way, man. We just needed to get in line to, to get you on, man. You, you Just so many people wanting to chat with you. So, first of all, Joe, tell me a little bit, what does the COO of the TRA do? Um, well, Chief Operating Officer is responsible
0: for a bunch of stuff. Um, everything from the revenue. So, I oversee the departments that handle uh, membership and all the products and services benefits that we put in place you know, for our members to take advantage of, give them the buying power of you know those big top chains. Um, and then kind of help coordinate the behind the scenes operations of the business from day to day and uh, whatever our members need, you know, we, everything we do here is with a member's first mentality. And so we know if it's good for them, it's probably something we should be doing.
1: Love it, man. And I think you guys do such a killer job. I have told everyone I went to the TRA show, had a blast, not only had a blast, but met so many incredible partners, so many incredible restaurants It was such a good show. You guys really did just like a killer job. And I had a ton of fun in the mechanical bull, just to say Um, it was, it was a blast. So you guys, you guys really did a great job there.
0: Now I'm really glad you uh, I'm really glad you guys thought that because, you know, being our 85th anniversary, it was something we knew we had to do and it wasn't just 85th for the association. The show was sort of how the association was born. So it was also the 85th show. So we had to make sure everything was just a little bit over the top and I'm glad that my succumbing to the offer of additional funds for our foundation therefore getting me on the mechanical bull got so many of you to do it as well because <laughs> those are some videos and photos that are going to live on forever.
1: Yeah, you you broke the ice with that bull, man. So first of all, events. We are we are fully back into events. I think that we I've seen that I go to tons of shows as most of our listeners know, but TRA was just like it was a great show to just kind of feel like we're, we're back, Texas. Um, what do you see as the future of events? As are, are we going to go back to doing a lot more digital events, or do you think that we're forever going to be in person and and we're done with that? You know, all those uh, webinars and virtual conferences. No, I think it's going to depend. Um,
0: if you think about what happened back um, around nine eleven and the early 2000s, leading all the way up to the recession of 08, this industry kind of went upside down, right? Like everything stopped. Um, the Peninsula Hotel in Chicago is a great example. Their grand opening was supposed to be that weekend. And 9-11 happened. And so they stopped, canceled everything, right? And they didn't, they never actually had a grand opening. They had a huge party for their 10th anniversary in, uh, in 2011. So... Everyone back then was questioning, okay, well, when is life going to go back to normal? When are events going to go back to normal? And the one thing we saw was that the big, lavish, million dollar corporate Christmas party type events, they never came back, right? So the, the big question now is we've just gone through two and a half of the most tumultuous roller coaster years for anyone who's been in this industry. And whether you're a small restaurant with a small private dining room, or you're a hotel with you know, tens of thousands of square feet of event space, what does tomorrow look like is I think a little bit TBD because at the end of the day, you've got to always, especially with the corporate stuff, think about what's your ROI. So does flying every salesperson for a giant sales and marketing conference in one place make sense versus being able to do it online? Um, I And I'll just anecdotally share with you, one of our our major broadliner partners was doing just that quarterly, full sales and marketing team, online, Zoom-driven conferences. And then they just had their first one up in North Texas uh, about two months ago. And they asked me to pop up there and speak a little bit, talk on the state of the industry, et cetera. And just seeing all those guys together in person—that's it. They, they represented 17 of the states in the south of the U.S., and it was the first time for some of them ever meeting because they started during the pandemic, or for others hadn't seen each other in two plus years. And they—they they all echoed the same thing: there, there is that something special that happens when you're all in the room together, whether it's at a conference or it's at a convention, and and you're sharing ideas and and kind of sharing that same air. So. You know, at the same time, we're not 100% out of this pandemic yet. But I think, you know, there will be a place for the virtual stuff. We've shown we could do it, we've shown that it works. But I think, you know, where it's feasible, people are still going to lean more towards let's get together face to face.
1: I think that's totally right because we need to look at it in in, in two camps. One is there's awesome opportunities to get together, but then there were kind of like superfluous opportunities to get together, right? And I think that what what we have now is this bifurcation of it's okay to do the ones that could have been done virtually, virtually, but I still think that we need to get together, right? Like for example, at Ovation, we fly everybody in for a big Christmas party. We we still do the big Christmas parties. Why? Because half our team is remote, right? And we Uh do a lot of events where we'll do an in-person event with a virtual component to it. And now what we're doing is we're starting to do like all virtual events. So when everybody's working from home, that's when we do an event. So that way, everybody feels equally included. Because when you do like a a partially virtual, partially remote, it becomes a little bit in crowd, not in crowd. So I think it's really interesting. Now, switching, switching from events to restaurants, what do you see? You work with thousands of restaurants you have direct connections with thousands of owners of these restaurants what mistake do you see as being a pretty common one that restaurant owners make
0: just one um look i think right now restaurant owners are are just fighting to survive right and and i I bleed for them because I grew up in this business and and my family had the great fortune to sell the land that our restaurant was on up in Chicago in 2017. And you want to talk about good luck timing. I mean, my parents sat watching this pandemic going, Oh, but what if we were still in business? You know, it, it would have just been so painful. And, and so we, we did, went we through the
1: restaurant, you guys own the land as well as, as it well, as restaurant. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were there for 55 years. We've been through every major economic upheaval. We went through like 9/11s. A night I'll never forget because you know, my father and uncle are huge proponents of never closing for anything. Like the, the the fact that we even closed on Thanksgiving, Christmas Day, New Year's Day like boggled their minds. Right. So there could be 14 feet of snow in Chicago. They're like, nope, we're going to be open because someone's going to want to come in and have dinner. And that night was another one of those arguments of, do we open? Do we not? And they're like, nope, we don't close for anything. We're not downtown. We weren't evacuated. We're opening. And we were packed wall to wall. Really? And it's one of those nights that I'll never forget because every table was like a regular customer. And at one point, as they knew that the president was going to be speaking, we had just enough room in the lounge between Bar stools and the lounge tables that everyone just brought all their stuff in there so they could see the president speak. And and we're talking about, you know, couples who were sitting at separate tables in the dining room, sitting together in the lounge to watch this happen. And, and the reality was they were all our regular customers that didn't necessarily have family or have family close by, but they felt comfortable and safe in our dining room. Yeah. And so they recognize each other because sometimes they were there on the same Saturday night, and whatnot. But they'd never met. They did quick introductions, and then they chose to sit together just so they could see the president speak. And that really impressed on me, like the the community aspect of a restaurant yeah. and how it's so yeah. important, especially with your regular customers. And so, while we're out of it, the fact that I get to serve the restaurants of Texas today is it's a privilege. It's an honor, and. You know, I think the, the the only mistake I'll ever call out, and, and it was not to dodge your question at all, but the, the, the mistake I would call out is when a restaurateur doesn't stop and get a little introspective on what can he do to help him or herself to be better. And by that, I mean, we're in a world today where there's inflation, there's supply chain challenges, the cost of food has just gone astronomically insane. Your cost of labor is insane. You got, you know, shortage of workers. And so you're you're fighting a multi-front battle. on how do you just keep persevering forward, have a good business? And at the end of the day, you're trying to support yourself, your family, et cetera, with this restaurant. so not taking a minute every once in a while just to go, are we doing everything as efficiently as we could to put every penny down to the bottom line that we possibly can? Um, I think mean, sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up in these new protocols or this latest thing or this cause and effect that's directly impacting us and just be, you know, horse blinders on focus on getting through the one day, but we're at the point now where you got to start looking long-term again. And thinking about, you know, if I change how I'm dealing with my utilities today, by the end of the year, how many thousands of dollars will I save in my pocket? You know, it's those little things that have to start
1: happening. And I think that's so interesting because the reason that people get into restaurants is exactly what you're talking about, right? Obviously we're, you know, people are in it for money, but it's like, why, why go into restaurants for money? It's like, because of that feeling, right? That community. And as you grow, it can be harder to do that. And then there's more operation stuff. How do we, how do we do what we're doing better? And then there's the marketing piece. How do you get people coming in and coming back and, and, and that whole reason you started, it kind of falls to the wayside. But I think what you're saying is it's so important that as you're doing these things, take that step back. Like, yes, constantly improve, but don't forget why you were improving. Don't forget what it all comes down to. And what, it does, what does it all come down to? It comes down to the guest experience, right? That's what everything is about, making mm-hmm. a great guest experience. And so in your opinion, Joe, what is the most important aspect of guest experience nowadays?
0: Today for customers, um, I think it's it really comes down to one word, and that's value. Um, and, and I think it's important that we qualify the word because if we were having this conversation, you know, mid-90s, where the coupon era had gone and exploded and Groupon was just starting and all that, value meant I'm getting more for less. Mm-hmm. And value today and there's data that backs this up from black box intelligence and from the national restaurant association's research team that points to customers are willing to pay if they believe that they're getting what they're paying for yeah and so if they've chosen to go to the steakhouse and that steak's not what they expect or the sides aren't as good or the service isn't there the ambiance doesn't match what they're expecting not that they have the problem paying for you know a $75 steak. It's that everything that should warrant making it a $75 steak is is out of whack, right? Conversely, they'll go to you know a Michelin star Alinea style restaurant or a local family restaurant. And if they have a great time, the food is good, the service is good, and all around they feel like they have you know had the experience, they set out to have, then they won't question the check. If the prices have to raise up a little bit, they're hearing it enough now, they're understanding, you know, okay, yes, there's inflation, there's this, there's that. Is there a you know price elasticity point somewhere in all of this for every tier of the industry? Absolutely. I mean, to to quote a a colleague of ours who who's a part of a major chain of Tex Mex restaurants, who's going to buy a $40 burrito from them?
1: Yeah. And that's a
0: fair point. Yeah. But again, it's just, it comes back to simply put value. And so is everything you're putting forward to the customer equating to what they perceive as the value they want when they walk in your door?
1: I love that. I think that makes so much sense because value is not just getting cheaper, value is about getting fairer. Right. And there's a a fair balance between consumers understand that prices are going up. And so in fairness, I understand that you've got to charge me a little bit more. Now, are you going to gouge me? Are you going to are you going to raise prices and decrease portions? Are you going to raise prices and decrease quality? Like you can have a choice. You've got portions, you've got quality and you've got price. Pick one. You can't have all three. You can't go low, low, high. And so, uh, and, and and consumers know that, and that's what what we're doing right now. You have an opportunity to increase prices if you haven't increased prices this year. Do it. You, you need to because everybody else has, and it's okay to do it. Your prices are going up. Your you need to pass on some of those those prices now, unless you've chosen a route of shrinkflation or choosing. Different different ingredients. If that's your, if that's the price, you, if that's a route you're going, don't raise prices. Right? Data shows guest exp- the, the guest will know. So with totally. all, with all of that, Joe, what, what are some successful tactics that you've seen lately?
0: So one, and it, I mean it's a term that um, I think everyone doesn't realize has been around for a really really long time, but dynamic pricing. Um, and and how you use it, how you apply it is really super important because if you think about back in the day, what was dynamic pricing, dynamic pricing was happy hour. And so some places had it, some places didn't, some States banned it, you know, it became this thing, um, dynamic pricing today is looking at saying, okay, I have plate of pasta in my restaurant with, you know, shrimp and it costs me $15 on my menu, right? That's what I'm selling it for. So this first course, $15, shrimp linguine, let's say, right? If I'm sending it out the door via delivery, who's to say that that can't be a $17.50 plate of pasta, right? And, and that's just a simple, high level way of doing dynamic par- pricing. You could also have it where look at your day parts. Look at obviously lunch and dinner has always been a different price, but what about dinner itself? if you have somebody who comes in at four o'clock to have a cocktail and wants a light dinner, how price sensitive are they going to be versus the person who comes in for the 530 or the six o'clock seating versus the 730 or the eight o'clock seating? And in very general terms, and obviously everyone's got to look at their own business, their own traffic and their own analytics. But if you just look at the industry in very generic terms, that person who's coming in right after work, having a cocktail and wanting a light dinner, would probably pay $17 for that $15 plate of pasta. The person who's coming in around six and having the early dinner is very likely looking at their budget and very much wants the value, again, not so much a discount, but to get what they're paying for. And they're counting the dollars. And so they want the $15 plate of pasta. But then at 7.30 or eight o'clock, the customer who comes in may be out for social evening with friends, entertaining business clients, wanting to show off a little bit. So if that plate of pasta was suddenly $19, they're not going to bat an eye at it. And so it's just a matter of setting yourself up to be able to do it. The technology is already there. Almost every POS system can do this. Mm-hmm. You're probably likely going to want to still use a QR code for your menu um, to avoid the human error of handing the wrong menu to the wrong person at the wrong time can cause an issue later. Um, But right now, you know, instead of having to sit down and to your point saying not going low, low, high, instead of trying to raise prices to where that four o'clock guy goes, I'm not paying $19 for this plate of pasta and potentially losing a customer, you're expanding your base and you're making sure that you're maximizing what you can make at every hour of every shift and therefore kind of spread across all of the different things between inflation and prices and supply chain challenges that you're getting hit with.
1: Yeah. And two. There are two companies, if it seems a bit overwhelming to manage it yourself, because it it can get very technical, two companies that I've come across that I I love the founders, heard great things from their customers, are JuicerPricing.com, J-U-I-C-E-R.com, Pricing.com, and SaucePricing.com. And those are two companies, Sauce and Juicer, that they both do dynamic pricing, and I think that there's... um, that there there are people out there that can help you. And it's just it's incremental revenue. That's again, it's all about the big F word, which is fair. It needs to be fair. And I understand the tours hesitation of, of price gouging their customers and feeling like it's not fair to pay one price opposed to the other. But to your point, Joe, we've been doing it for a long time. We just call it something different. Mm-hmm. And consumers. Uh, love that. So who who's someone, Joe, that deserves an ovation in the restaurant industry? Who's somebody that we should be following? Mm. Um,
0: so not an actual restaurant, but one of our uh, fellow vendors um, and, and someone who you and I have had the pleasure of being on panels with in the past and, and meeting at conferences. But um, Massimo, founder of Kitchen United, uh, his who just finally unveiled Piestro. Um, and and takes his love of robotics, his uh, our mutual Italian heritage, and and love of pizza, all all into one machine. Um, and anybody who saw the trades last week, they uh, have hit over something like five hundred and eighty million dollars in uh, pre-orders. Um, and Capriati's is bringing in like a hundred units to help run their stores, and so. You know, It's not to say our entire industry is going to be replaced with robots, but when you've got a device that can literally customize a pizza, have it cooked and outdoor, and it looks like it came out of this gorgeous, high-temp, wood-fired grill oven, that's some real special work going on there.
1: Yeah. And when you can go from an average 16% profit margins of the typical pizzeria to 49% profit margins with Paestro, and you still have a good pie, hey... That's what it comes down to, man. I'll I'll take a piece of that pie. Uh, love that. And, I, and I love Massimo. Let's uh, link him in the notes in the show notes uh, as well. His previous episode because he uh, he did a killer episode here on Given Ovation. Well, Joe, nice. how do people find and follow you and the Tra?
0: So we are on all social channels. Uh, you can find us at T X R E S T A S S O C for Texas Restaurant Association. Um, We are also going to be launching our podcast um, in the next couple of weeks. And so definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, It's going to be sort of by the members for the members. Uh, And so every episode, we're going to tackle a topic, have a few of our members on to talk about it from the operator's perspective, bring some of our colleagues like yourself on who can come at it with some solutions, um, and really just kind of expand that sense of community across the state and probably beyond the state borders as well um just continuing to look at where where do we go next in the industry and so uh tableside with the tra will be launching shortly and it's already got its own spin-off series tableside with the tra tech guys which will be a, a, a complete series dedicated to how a restaurant tour looks at their tech stack today because if you think about it you came out of the last two and a half years with just a million different technology solutions thrown at you and so we've got some really phenomenal people between our staff and a few members of our board that said hey we want to do something to kind of help people go through the weeds of which items work best with a pos and using flow through code still and and tracking data and how do you make it work for you and not be just completely overwhelmed by it um, and and having that analysis paralysis stuff so there will be uh, you know one show a month talking about a general topic and then one show a month with the TRA tech guys talking about uh, technology specific stuff. So we're excited.
1: Love that, that's awesome. Can't, can't wait to listen to that, Joe. Well, Joe, for being a shining light from the lone star to the other 49 stars, today's ovation goes to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Give An Ovation. Thanks, Zach. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.